0: Friends. Hello. Yeah, <laughs> Warm welcome to our worship this morning. It's lovely to see you. Uh, if you're <clears throat> obviously, if you're here physically, it's good to see you. If you're on Zoom, uh, I'm really delighted that you're with us. It's lovely to have everybody together in this way. Uh, we begin a new series this morning, and uh, it's my first Sunday of the new year with you, so I suppose I ought to say Happy New Year, hadn't I really? Yeah, (laughs) but you've got past that. Uh, I wonder if any of your resolutions are still extant or whether you've just put them to one side and thought, no, we'll just get on with life, which is what I tend to do. Two days and that's it, finished. Anyway, right, let us begin by hearing a few words from Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, sit down, friends. Just before we jump into the all age, we'll pray together. Let us pray. Father, what we've been singing is true. We long to be in the place where the praise is never ending. We know that will happen uh, either when you return or when our earthly journey is through and we find ourselves in your nearer presence. But that is our heart's desire, to be with you to worship in spirit and in truth, to be all that we should be under your hand, to give glory, praise and honour to the Lamb who looked as though he's been slain. All that we have and all that we are is really because of you and because of what you've done for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We could never have scaled the heights that are required to make our way to you. So we're so thankful that you opened a way for us. Our hearts are full. And out of that fullness, we pray that we might be able to respond in right ways to your calling and to your prompting. When we look at our lives, Lord, we know that we're not all that we should be. There have been occasions when we have said, done, or even thought things which are not honouring to your name. They're not worthy of the name of Christ. And were those things to be known, they'd bring shame to us. We're very sorry, Lord, about that. And with your help, we won't do that again. Please lift us up, dust us off, and set us on our way again with you. Draw near to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to begin a new series today. It's the latter part of the book of Genesis. And over the, over the period that I've been with you, we've, we've been into the book of Genesis uh, and you know we started with those first eleven chapters, the prehistory, um, the created order, the, uh, the creation of human beings, the fall, Cain and Abel, all the way through to Tower of Babel and the flood and Noah and all of that piece, and then into the patriarchs with Abraham. and the reason for reading uh, abram 's call at the beginning was just to remind us that uh, of what God said to Abraham and the way in which God is working his purpose out through each succeeding generation. We're going to see a little video which will remind us of everything that has gone before from chapter 12 uh, all the way through to the end. So spoiler alert, you're going to find out what happens to (coughs) Joseph uh, (coughs) by the time we get to the end of this little piece. Uh, But we'll do some detailed work in a little while. So let's see the video.
1: The book of Genesis. In the first video, we saw how chapters 1 through 11 set up the basic storyline of the Bible. God has created all things, and he makes humans in his image to rule the world on his behalf. The humans choose sin and rebellion, and so the world spins out of control into violence and death, all leading up to the rebellion and scattering of the people in Babylon. And so the big question is, what is God going to do to rescue and redeem his world? Well, out of that scattering at Babylon, the author traces a genealogy of just one family that leads eventually to a man named Abram, later known as Abraham. And God's promise to Abraham at the beginning of chapter 12 opens up a whole new movement in the story. God calls Abraham to leave his home and go to the land of Canaan, which, God says, will become his one day. And in that land, God promises to make Abraham into a great nation, to make his name great and to bless him. Now, these promises are connected back to earlier parts of the book. So Babylon had arrogantly tried to make a great name for itself, and that didn't go over very well. But God, in his generosity, is going to bestow a great name on this no-name guy, Abraham. And God's blessing of Abraham echoes all the way back to that original blessing God gave humanity in the beginning. So the question is, why is God going to bless Abraham and his family? And the last line of God's promise makes this clear. So that all the families of the earth will find God's blessing in you. Now this is key for understanding the whole rest of the biblical story. God's plan is to rescue and bless his rebellious world through Abraham's family. And this is why the whole rest of the Old Testament story is just going to focus on this one family, eventually called the people of Israel. This is also why Israel will later be called a kingdom of priests at Mount Sinai. God wants to use them to show all of the other nations what he's like. And ultimately, this is the promise that gets picked up by the later biblical prophets and poets who say that its fulfillment will come through Israel's messianic king, whose reign will bring justice and peace to all of the nations. Now at this point of the story, none of that's clear. You just have to keep reading and watch the promise develop. And so the rest of the book focuses on Abraham and his family. First, Abraham himself, then his son Isaac, and then his son Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons. And the stories about each generation, they're united by two main themes. So first, each generation of Abraham's family is marked by repeated failure. They just keep making really bad decisions that mess up their lives and that put God's promise in jeopardy. However... God remains faithful to them. He keeps rescuing them from themselves and reaffirming his commitment to bless them and bless the nations through them despite their failings. So the Abraham stories. God had promised Abraham a huge family, but on two different occasions. He's afraid for his life because other men are attracted to his wife, and so he denies that he's even married to her, which creates, of course, all of these problems. And not only that, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they can't have children, and so Sarah arranges for Abraham to sleep with one of their servant girls, which also creates all of these problems in the family. But each time, God bails Abraham out. And in chapters 15 and 17, God even formalizes his promise to Abraham with an official commitment (laughs) called a covenant. This is a classic scene. God invites Abraham to look up at the night stars and to count them. And he says, that's how numerous your family's going to be. And despite all of the odds having no kids and no way to have any at the moment, Abraham looks up in the sky and simply trusts God's promise. And God responds by entering into a covenant with Abraham, promising that he will become a father of many nations, that God's blessing may come to the whole world. God asks Abraham to mark his family with a sign of the covenant. Circumcision of all the male boys in the family. This is a symbol to remind them that the fruitfulness of their family is a gift from God. And so Abraham has lots of kids eventually, and he dies at a good old age. Now the Jacob stories play out these themes even more dramatically. From birth, Jacob lives up to the meaning of his name, which is deceiver. He cheats his brother Esau out of his inheritance and blessing, and he does it by deceiving his old blind father, no less, and then he just takes off. He goes on to take four wives, even though he really only loves one, Rachel, and this creates all of these rivalries in the family. The only thing that humbles Jacob is being deceived by his uncle Laban, who cheats him out of years of his life. The tables have finally turned. And so it's a humbled Jacob that returns to his homeland, and in a very strange story, Jacob ends up wrestling with God as he demands that God bless him. Some things never really change, do they? However, God honors his determination, and he passes Abraham's blessing on to him, and he renames Jacob as Israel, which means wrestles with God. Now, it's this last part of the book, the story of Jacob's sons, where all the themes come to a head. Jacob loves his second-to-youngest son, Joseph, more than any of the others, and he gives him this special jacket. And the ten older sons come to hate Joseph, and so they kidnap him, and they plan to kill him, but instead they decide to just sell him into slavery in Egypt, where he ends up in prison. Talk about family failure. But God is with Joseph, and he orchestrates Joseph's release from prison, and Pharaoh ends up elevating Joseph to second-in-command over all of Egypt. And so Joseph saves the nation of Egypt during a famine. And he also ends up saving his brothers and his family from starving to death. And so once again, we can see the folly and the sin of Abraham's family is met with God's faithfulness, who subverts even the evil of the brothers into an occasion to save life. And this is actually what Joseph says right near the end of the book. He says to his brothers, you all planned this for evil, but God planned it for good to save many Now, these words are strategically placed at the end of the book because they summarize not only the story of Joseph and his brothers, but the book as a whole. From Genesis 3 onward, humans keep acting selfishly and doing evil, but this God is not going to leave his world to its own devices. He remains faithful and determined to bless people despite their failures. You can see this especially in how that mysterious promise about the descendant of the woman gets developed throughout the book. So remember, Genesis 3, God promised that this wounded victor would come and crush the snake and defeat evil at its source. And the author then connects this promise directly to the line of Abraham. This is a part of how God's going to bring his blessing to the nations. Now from Abraham, this promise gets connected to Judah, the fourth son of Jacob. And this is how. In an extremely important poem in chapter 49, in Aging Jacob, he's on his deathbed, he wants to bless his 12 sons. And when he comes to Judah, Jacob predicts that Judah will become the tribe of Israel's royal leaders and that one day a king will come who will command the obedience of all the nations and fulfill God's promise to restore the garden blessing to all of the world. And then after this, Jacob dies. And later Joseph dies too. And the growing family remains in Egypt. And so the book of Genesis ends with all of these future hopes and promises left hanging and undeveloped. And it forces you to turn the page to see how it's all going to turn out. But for now, that's the book of Genesis.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let's hear our reading today.
2: Right. You get both of us because it's quite a long one, and David said they'll get fed up and fall asleep, so it's <laughs> <He's> dreadful. <laughs> Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers the sons of Bilhar, Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, "'They hated him all the more. "'He said to them, "'Listen to this dream I had. "'We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, "'when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, "'while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. "'His brother said to him, "'Do you intend to reign over us? "'Will you actually rule us?' "'And they hated him all the more because of his dream "'and what he had said. "'Then he had another dream.' and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering in the fields, and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I am looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They had moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan.
3: So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the system. The system was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So, when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the system. And sold him for twenty shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there, where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. (coughs) Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Prince.
0: Thank you. Uh, We're going to sing together once again, and at the end of this song, I will receive the offering. Blessed be your name. So when things are going well, blessed be your name. When things are not going so well, blessed be your name. If you're able, please stand, and we'll sing together.
4: For our time, turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in God, still I will say. I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your God.
0: Father God, we've come to say thank you once again in this most practical of ways. Please take all that we have and all that we are, and use even us to further your kingdom. Amen. If you're involved with Junior Church, it's time for you to take your leave. The Lord be with you. Amen. Amen. I hope you found the little uh, video reprise helpful. I, I really like the work that those folk do. Um, if you want to see more of that sort of thing, uh, they're all on YouTube. Uh, if you uh, go to YouTube and put in the Bible project in the search uh, line, all the stuff that they have come comes up. And it's all of the Bible. And it's just wonderful. Uh, Very helpful if you want to get the whole sweep of a particular book uh, or a particular theme. They do that as well. Uh, We're going to bring our prayers of intercession to God. uh, And as part of that, we're going to be mentioning the family of Hugh Higgins, who sadly died on Friday morning. So let us pray. As always, Lord, we thank you for the great privilege and responsibility of prayer, this particular sort of prayer intercession. And as we've, you know, we've already been reflecting on, the human beings have a particular way of just wanting to spoil everything and, and make it what it's not supposed to be. And we don't have to look around the world very much. We don't have to look very far. To see that things are not as they ought to be. There are natural disasters. Pakistan, for example, unusually heavy snowfall. People getting caught in their vehicles. Some of them dying because of that. Political unrest. Kazakhstan, where there's been massive unrest for a few days. Where in fact it's longer than that, really. But it has all come to a head in the last few days and the armed forces of that country shooting citizenry. All sorts of things being said by the political leadership which may or may not be true. The continuing crackdown by China on Hong Kong and their refusal to allow any mention of the possibility of democracy the wiping out of what happened at Tiananmen Square, no possibility of acknowledging that episode in the history of that land. All sorts of things that are not right and they're way beyond anything that we might be able to do to change except to pray And if anyone were to travel from Hong Kong to this country, perhaps we might be able to make them welcome, help them to find their way. We know that a number of people have come. And we're thankful, Father, that sisters and brothers in Christ in this country have been working to make them feel at home and to help them find their place. And we pray that we might do that always with all refugees from anywhere in the world. The BMS encourage us to pray today for the Peruvian Evangelical Baptist Convention. And we're pleased and honoured to be able to lift up our sisters and brothers in Christ. In that country before your throne, Lord, we pray that they'll have a really good time, a time of great encouragement, a time when they'll hear testimony of your church growing, where they'll be able to help one another, where they will learn more of what's in your word, that they'll be built up in their faith, encouraged to go back to the churches that they are pastoring and worshipping in uh, and ready and able to do yet more to see the kingdom of God growing and expanding in that country. We pray for our own church and thank you for everything that happens in this building. We particularly want to lift before you our Boys Brigade and Girls Association. Thank you for the work that goes on week by week, quietly, without great fanfare we know that there are a number of our young people who are growing in their faith, developing in their understanding. Some are not yet ready to make that step, but on the journey, others who have committed themselves to you, Lord, growing in their faith. We thank you for all those that help with that work. We pray that you will sustain them and encourage them. We thank you for all the good things that you are doing among us. We pray for the family and friends of our friend Hugh Higgins, who has died. He's been unwell for quite some time. Thank you for the opportunities that we've had to be alongside him, to know him. Uh, and to listen to him, be with him, pray for him and with him. We pray for Adrienne and for Angel as they mourn the loss of a partner and father. There's wider family too, Lord, that will need to know your comfort in these days. We lift them up before you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will do your work as comforter amongst these folk. We ask that you will draw near and that you will help in every way possible. We gather up all of our prayers together as we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. going to sing together once again. If you're able, please stand. Reign in me, Sovereign Lord. Reign in me. You sit down friends so the Joseph story <clears throat> well we've uh, been very helpfully uh, put in the picture haven't we we've had the context of this the beginning of this episode but I think it is w- worth remembering um, who he is and where he fits in the family uh, and you just need to go back one step to his father Jacob the deceiver the twister the cheater who's cheated by Laban. You'll remember that Jacob meets Laban's daughter, Rachel, and loves her and wants her as a wife. And Laban says, of course, you can have her as a wife, but first you work for me for seven years. And so he gladly does his seven years And then believes he's marrying Rachel, the woman he loves. But, of course, Laban has cheated. Uh, And uh, Jacob finds that he's got the older sister, Leah, uh, which is not what he wanted. Just a minute. I worked seven years for you, for your youngest daughter, and you've given me the wrong one. No, no, you've got to... The oldest one needs to be married first, and then the youngest one can be married. Do another seven years and you can have the youngest one. And so he works another seven years and eventually gets the woman that he loves. All well and good. Except that uh, Rachel's womb is closed by God. We don't know why that is. But she just can't have children. Leah, on the other hand, can have children and does have children. And after a while, Rachel thinks, this is no good. I've got to do something about this. So she gives uh, (coughs) Jacob one of her servants, well, her maidservant. It says, I'll build a family through my maidservant. Sleep with her. Have children with her. And he does. And Leah looks at this and thinks, I'm getting left behind dear." So she gives her maidservant to Jacob and says, sleep with her. Have children with her. And he does. Gosh, he's an accommodating fellow, isn't he? (laughs) Uh, And eventually, eventually, there is a child with Rachel. And it's Joseph. And he's quite an old man at this stage. And the story in Genesis 37 says that Jacob loves Joseph because he was born to him in his old age. I think it's also because he was born to the woman that he really loved. All this other, you know, uh, sleeping with uh, other women, that's all duty, I think. Shocking, but there we are. Got to be done. Uh, and, but the one he loves, the woman that he loves, Rachel, finally has a child. And he loves this child more than all the others. Uh, and he doesn't make any bones about that. And there's all sorts of trouble in the family. I've got two boys. My oldest son said to me one day when he was, well, he was old enough to know what he was doing. He just said to me, Dad, who's your favorite? Gosh, what do you say at that stage? Well, you pray for wisdom and then you say... I love you both the same. You're both my favourite. That's what you say. But not Jacob. Jacob makes it clear that this boy, Joseph, this boy is his favourite. He makes him a wonderfully ornamented robe and gives it to him. And all of the other sons look at this and think, we don't like this. We don't like this at all. But never mind, because we're the oldest. We're older than him. He's at the end of the pecking order. So whatever is to come, it's going to come to us first. And it won't be him. And then when he's 17, he has a dream. And he's so excited about this dream that he tells his brothers Brothers, I've had this dream. Listen to this. We're out in the fields and we're all working away, and my sheaf of wheat stands up really tall and strong, and all of yours come and gather around and bow down. Isn't that wonderful and exciting? Hmm. No. No, it is not. Do you mean to rule over us? One can imagine the tone in that conversation. 17 years old, you know everything, don't you? I knew everything when I was 17. I, I, I had the, the best, most clear vision of what the world should be like, what my life was going to be like. It was absolutely crystal to me. Never again have I ever had that clarity of vision. Never. But when you're 17, you know everything. Everything. He has a second dream, where the moon and the stars bow down. And he shares that with his brothers and with his father. Now his father, of course, his father knows a little bit more than the brothers. His father has a whole history and life's experience of being the youngest who was elevated to become the one that received the inheritance, the one who became the centre of the promise that God had made. But he can't say, well done. Because who can know what's going to happen in the future? Who can know that? But he's got more of an idea than, than the brothers because of his own experience, because of the way that God had dealt with him. Down through his life. So he says the right things. Do you intend to reign over me and your mother? Do you intend to reign over all of us? Well, Joseph doesn't know what he intends. Joseph has no intent. He is the recipient of the promise of God in a dream. That's all that he can know, although he doesn't even know that at this stage. All he knows is that he is dreaming. And the dreams are so vivid, he thinks they may mean something. And he's going to the only people he knows for guidance and help his family. And they are no help. Because they recognize in the dream something that they do not want. They want to maintain the status quo. They want things to continue as they are. Because everybody knows where they are. And everybody knows that they're going to receive something in due course. To have this dream come true, to even entertain the possibility of this dream, is to throw everything out of the window. And they will not do that. And they determine together that they will not have that. So the dream is expressed. The dream is is spoken out. And it has legs. And it starts to gain a little traction. But the brothers are opposed to the dream and they will not have it. So they plot and they plan. Everything continues pretty well as it has been. And then one day, they're out looking after the flock of their father. Uh, and Jacob sends Joseph, his favorite, just to go and see how they're doing. Well, you know, he's, he's a flipping tattletale, this kid that's in the early part of the chapter that we heard read you know, he brought a bad report of them of his brothers to his father nobody likes a telltale so you know he's, he's getting off on the wrong foot anyway then there's these dreams and nobody likes that and then <clears throat> the older brothers are out doing all the work oh here comes this dreamer right boys now's our chance let's get rid of him there's enough of us. There's only one of him. Easy. We'll just kill him. We'll throw him in a pit. We'll tell Dad that he's been attacked. Torn to bits by a wild animal. And that'll be the end of that. But one of the brothers, well, let's, let's not kill him. Let's not have blood on our hands. But let's just, let's just put him in this cistern and uh, let him cool off a bit. Uh, and then we'll see what we we'll do after that. So they chuck him in the dry well. And they're having their meal. And here come the traders. We don't know what happened to Reuben, do we? He's clearly not in on that conversation, though, about selling him. Let's just sell him. Let's, you know, take his coat. We'll sell him. We'll make some money out of him. So that's what they do. Sell him to the traders so that he can be sold on in his turn. Uh, down in Egypt. So the, the brothers dominate the discourse and the brothers dominate the narrative uh, at this point. Uh, is the promise of God going to be fulfilled or not? Well, we know it is because it is God. Uh, but it's interesting to see how people try to thwart God's purpose. The brothers at this stage are dominant Uh, And they believe that they have managed to get rid of this wretched dreamer that wants to upset the apple cart and change everything. Uh, And so they go back to father. They, They take the coat. They slaughter an animal. They dip the coat in the blood. And they go back to father and they say, Is this your son's coat? Yes, it is. We think he must have died along the way. Oh, God. It's the worst thing, isn't it? To lose a child. The worst thing. And there's huge distress in the family. There's huge distress, not for the brothers, (laughs) but for father. In the grief in his grief is inconsolable and we're not surprised at that but the question is will the dreams be fulfilled will the plan of god be fulfilled what is going to win out in this struggle between the hopes of the brothers And the dream that Joseph has had. Well, we know, because we had it explained to us earlier, and most of us have read this before, we know that the dream is going to be fulfilled. But there'll be things for us to learn along the way. And the first thing for us to learn is that when God has got a plan and a purpose for your life, for the life of a church that plan, that purpose, will actually come about. Even though you might think not, even though there may be folk that don't want it to happen, it will. Now, it might take a bit longer, and that's one of the things that is clear from this story. Joseph is 17 when he has his dreams. It will be... One generation before those dreams are fulfilled. So, if God has given you an inkling of His plan for your life, and it seems slow in coming, don't be surprised at that. Be faithful to what you believe God has told you, and live as though that were true. And it will come about, it absolutely will. That's what this story teaches us. So we have the vision, the dreams. We have uh, power. What do you do with power when you've got power? Well, the brothers, you know, they use their power for ill. Um, When Joseph has got power and the boot's on the other foot, what happens? Well, we'll see, won't we, as the story unfolds. But God is working his purpose out. That is the thing that we can hold on to. It's it's the thing that we see. It's the seed of the narrative at this stage. And that's all we know. Uh, And the the center of the narrative, the dreamer, he seems to be just pushed from pillar to post and and he has no power at this stage. Uh, There is nothing going right for him. And yet... God has a plan. We'll see how it works out. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for your word and for all that it teaches us. We think about our own lives and what you may want for us individually. And we think about our life together as a church and what you may want for us corporately. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to be those who will work in partnership with you to bring about your purpose, to bring about your purpose for us individually, to bring about your purpose for us as a church. Help us to have eyes that can see and ears that can hear. Help us to be attentive to all of the ways that you might want to speak to us and show us things. Draw near and bless us, we pray. Amen. So, of course, we're going to finish with the hymn, God is Working His Purpose Out. If you're able, please stand as we sing together.
4: I've just asked Rob to to pause for a second. This, this hymn has got loads of words in it, it's a brilliant hymn, fits the theme really, really well. It's quite an old-fashioned hymn, it's got loads and loads of words in it. I just wanted to read, for this new year, verse 3, and then we can think about it when we sing it in a moment. Verse 3 says, March we forth in the strength of God, with the banner of Christ unfurled, that the light of the glorious gospel of truth may shine throughout the world. Fight we the fight with sorrow and sin, To set their captives free, the captives of sorrow and sin, that the earth may be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Strong stuff. So let's enjoy this one. (laughs) God is working his purpose out as he succeeds.
0: Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.